Get motivated, get educated, get growing your property empire with the How To Property Podcast with your host, Ryan Luke. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the show. Welcome back to the How To Property Podcast. On this week's show, I have a good friend of mine and a fellow expat. Um, used to live in Australia, and uh, I know a bit about the expat lifestyle myself, so we'll uh, share a bit of our experiences over there. Um, Dave and I have been good friends for quite some time. Uh, we were actually friends before the, uh, the sort of property game brought us back together, um, and uh, it just shows you how relationships can be formed or improved um, through property, which is uh, you know what I keep going on about, especially the last few episodes. Uh, so we're going to hear from David and uh, understand about his story, how we can... Um, help you guys grow your journey and help you guys, you know, maybe just pick up a a little golden nugget or two. And that's the idea of these podcasts. Just before we dig into it, if you are enjoying the podcast, please leave me a review. It's the only thing I ask you to do. Um, Obviously, we want to keep bringing you loads of valuable content. Uh, The more reviews you get, the more people that will hear the podcast and it'll keep us motivated to keep producing more and more shows and obviously getting, you know, um, more and more experienced investors on board, which is, you know, the best way to learn is from people that have been there and done it. I'm still learning a lot from people who are ahead of me. And obviously, I coach people who aren't, aren't as, um, as, as, as far as I am. And, you know, David's exactly the same. And everybody else that we've got on the shows is the same. You know, there's always someone bigger and better than where you're at. And, you know, there's always people that you can help out. And I think that's one thing that the property game offers is that ability to um, share knowledge and everyone can still get ahead in the game. It's not a competitive industry uh, like some other industries where you need to keep all your secrets guarded. Um, so, you know, you can help each other. No matter how much money you've got in the world, I say this time and time again, you cannot buy all the property in the world. So I have lived in Dubai myself, so I fully understand the expat lifestyle. Uh, I'm not sure why we come back to the UK in all honesty. Um, but, um, but yeah, so Dave, tell us first and foremost uh, what you were doing in Australia. Hi, Ryan. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having me on. Um... I initially, uh, my first venture over to Australia was was for three months initially, backpacking uh, via Singapore. And uh, yes, as soon as my feet hit the, the Australian turf, I, I knew I, I wanted to be there for a bit longer than three months. Um, ended up staying there seven years and, and becoming an Australian citizen, which was which was never never part of the plan, but um, was probably probably the best thing I've done um, on, on a personal level and a professional level, to be honest. Um, and yeah, like you say, ended, ended up uh, there seven years working in subsea robotics. Uh, I was an, an ROV pilot, which is, for those of you who don't know what an ROV is, it's, it's basically a submersible robot which, which carries out any tasks uh, on the seabed thousands of metres down that, that, that a diver would normally do. So you, you, you're, you're mitigating the risk of, uh, of losing a life, obviously, by using a robot. So yeah, did that, um, did that for, like you say, seven years over there. Happy days. What um, I mean, I know my journey in Dubai obviously helped me a lot in terms of getting into property, especially when we came back to the UK. What What do you think your job in Australia did for you in terms of your property portfolio? Well, initially, I bought uh, my first property. When I was twenty one. I did a flip, um, and it was during the, the the boom we had in the early two thousands. So more luck, more more luck than skill. I, I made a, a small fortune off my first, well, a small first fortune for me at the time, um, off my first flip. Did another one, made a decent profit, um, and that's what I was doing. Just just flipping 
uh, terraced houses. Then the, the crash happened, um, and I lost. Well, the, the fear factor grew. It wasn't an industry um, that I wanted to be in. Um, I wasn't educated at the time. If I had been educated, I would have known that it was probably the best time to get into it. Um, but yeah, so at the time, just 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 wanted to travel. Thought right, I'll put the the, the property on, on the back burner. Um, I took voluntary redundancy from my, my job at the time, and and, and went travelling and, and, and ended up in Australia. But yeah, so before that, I was doing flips. Going to Australia and, and, and getting a job offshore was, I mean, the money was absolutely ridiculous at the time. I was earning more than the Prime Minister over there. Uh, <laughs> we, we all were. Every, every, if you're offshore in Australia at that time, I mean, there'll, there'll never be another time like it. The money we're getting was just ridiculous. Um, I mean, I, I don't earn now what, what I paid in tax in those days. Um, so it's, but, and obviously, that on the back of that as well, the, the strength of the Australian dollar was unbelievable against the pound. Martha, about 30, 30% stronger than it is now. So those two things coupled together uh, gave me the cash and the, and the capital to, to send back to the UK. I always wanted to uh, come back to the UK and become a professional property investor. Property has been my passion uh, all of my life. I just I just didn't have the capital to do it in the early days. Working offshore in Australia gave me that capital. Um, so yeah, while whilst my friends were going out and, and buying boats and uh and, and flash cars, flash houses around around Australia. I was literally just sending every penny I could after tax back to the UK with with, with the plan to move back to the UK and, and like you say, become a, a full-time property investor in, in the end. Okay, cool. And the um, you've got a property in Australia. So was that a property that you just lived in and then obviously became an accidental landlord kind of over there once you moved away or did you actually buy that as an investment? No, I bought it. Um, I bought it to live in myself. Um, it, it's in a great area in, in, in Perth, uh, Western Australia, called Fremantle. Quite an upmarket, uh, an upmarket, high demand area. I bought it as a home. Um, it, it gives me about a five percent yield. It's 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 not a good investment um, at all on a on a cash flow basis. Um, I'm kind of not stuck with it now because it will become a good asset in the future, I think. But um, it's right next to the local hospital, the main hospital. So luckily it's it's the rental demand around there for, for doctors and nurses and the like is, is high. So it's never been empty since. Um, so I don't make a great return on it. But I think uh, there's a lot of a lot of money being thrown into Fremantle at the moment uh, and developing the, the city as a whole. So I, I think it, I think the capital value will, will climb over the next decade or so and I'll, I'll probably sell it. Is the, and is the... Is the yield low because obviously the cost of the property? Yeah, so I paid six six hundred thousand for it, which Aussie dollars six hundred thousand, so probably about four hundred thousand uh, pounds for it. It's only a little two bedroom, uh, a little two bedroom house, gorgeous, gorgeous house. Um, Ten minute walk down to, to one of the best beaches in Perth. So yeah, it's uh, just just the purchase price. Okay. Yeah, it's like like any high end. Um, Area, I guess, in the UK where you're going to get your capital growth, but uh, yeah, your monthly returns not going to be there. Okay, okay. And is, how does funding work over there? Out of interest, is it same as over here? Or yeah, pretty much the same. Um, again, I had very little education at the time when I when I bought the house over there. Uh, so yeah, it was just a obviously bought a residential mortgage, uh, living it myself. I got um, permission to let once I left uh, Australia. But yeah, the system's pretty much the same. I had a great broker over there. Um, and, and yeah, the, the ins and outs, the whole process is very similar. Cool. And can you do buy, refurbish, refinance? I know obviously you're big into that, I'm big into that over here. So can, can you do that over there? 
No, well, one of the main main drivers for me coming back to the UK and doing it in the UK um, is that that it's it's so much easier to do over here. Over there, that the, the the purchasing costs and fees are just ridiculous um, in comparison to over here. Over here, you pay thousands, um, and then uh, the remortgage costs. Um, the system's the same, but the costs over there are just phenomenal. So you, you're looking at you're looking at paying massive fees before you even get into a property over there. Whereas over here, you've got your legals, you've got your stamp duty, but it's relatively small um, to to over there. Um, so yeah, BRR wasn't even something I explored over there, and I, and I wouldn't even now. Now I'm educated, I look back, I think no, it was never possible over there, just because of the, the like you say, the legal fees and the uh, completion fees that they call over there. Yeah. Okay. Photos. Do you think you'll head back over there at some point? Um, I don't know. I'm never saying never. Maybe um, when I'm a bit older and greyer. Um, not. It's not something that's in my mind for for the foreseeable future. Um, I'm, I'm enjoying what I'm doing. I'm full time in property now, and it's it's been my dream for for all of my adult life. I've been obsessed with property, as like I said before. But absolute property tragic. Um, so. So yeah, no no plans to go anywhere really. Enjoying what I'm doing in the UK. Weather could be better, but uh, <laughs> yeah. business is uh, business is fantastic. <laughs> yeah, the weather's terrible. It's definitely yeah. uh, definitely holds you back a bit. But anyway, so um, when you came back to the UK, uh, what was were you employed, or did you just go straight into property? Well, before I got into the offshore industry, um, I started off as an estimator, working for my family business, family construction business. Um, and I came back from, from Australia, and a guy I met over there, uh, Kyle, um, a guy from Teesside, the same as me. I met him in Perth, never met him in my life. Um, used to go to the same bars as him. Um, Small first met, Yeah, exactly. We, we've been to a lot of the same place in Teesside, but never met met him in Perth, bumped into him in a bar and got chatting to him. Anyway, cut a long story short, he, he um, came back to the UK before I did, cut me advice and set up a, um, an, a joint room fit-out company. So when I came back, we stayed in touch the whole way and uh, when I came back I started um, working for him as an estimator stroke project manager so uh, straight away I was exposed to to, to large uh, residential uh, contracts around Birmingham, London, Newcastle, Leeds so yeah I was project managing all of a sudden uh, these multi-million, multi-million pound uh, projects after after working uh, working offshore but uh, I did that for three and a half years and then became full-time in property so yeah I was lucky when I first got back to the UK I fell straight into, straight into employment and uh, yeah, worked yeah out really. it served you well I'd imagine that job as well with oh just great exposure great, yeah. great exposure to, uh, to to the whole process so we, we were doing mainly the internals and fit out but we, we got involved in all sorts of external works from start to finish, it was just a, an amazing, a, an amazing uh, experience. To, looking back, really, yeah, yeah, okay. I mean, one thing that I get asked all the time is, um, you know, a lot of people, well, pretty much everyone you speak to, Nyon starts their journey in a job, and they they do the property thing on the side, and then obviously, lo and behold, that that becomes quite successful, and they want to start moving further into property, um, but everyone seems to have. A lot of worries about it and um you know fears that it you know for some reason it, it works out as a part-time gig but people think it's not going to work as a full-time gig um and you know but what when when did you go full-time into property what were your main worries when you were about to take the leap and how did you overcome them yeah well, my, last, my last couple of years in australia um obviously I'd, I'd been sending money back to the uk as i said but last couple of years in australia i, I was coming back for a couple of 
couple of weddings, a couple of my friends' weddings. And then um, it became a bit, a bit of a running joke. Each each time I came back for a wedding, I, I bought, bought uh, a new investment property. Um, so, yeah, I, I was buying cash at the time because I was finding it different to get mortgages um, whilst living in Australia. Uh, so buying houses cash. Again, I was uneducated at the time. I thought that was the way to go as well. Um, and then when I got back to the UK, I got, got myself a job and, and, and got myself educated with property. Um, realized that I had a, a hell of a lot of equity uh, locked up in my, I had four investment properties at the time, I think, um, and do pretty much all cash. So once I, uh, once the, the light bulb went on above my head and I realized that I could uh, I could withdraw that equity and, and use it to, for, for further deposits, it was like a eureka moment for me. It was, was amazing. Um, and yeah, I did, I did that basically, just just rinse and, re- and repeat with with BRR projects using the equity that I had in those initial houses, plus my plus my wages for my project management and my construction project management job. Did that for three years. Uh, managed to to buy another eighteen properties, and and yeah, and then went um, I'm full being full time as of as of January this year. Okay, what was um, what was the deciding factor to go full time? Just, just pure passion. Um, property for me, it's 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 not even it's it's not a job. It's 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 just a it's just a hobby that pays. Um, yeah, I just I just love love every 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 sense of it. The financing, the, the finding the deals, the getting them tenanted, the, the refurbs especially. The whole process, I just love it. Um, and yeah, I just wanted to do it full time on a, on a, on a daily basis. I was I went from full time to part time with my job, working three days a week and doing two days full time property, and I was just like, this this is this is what I need to be doing. So had a had a monthly cash flow target as everyone does, I guess, um, to hit. And once the the, the very day I hit that, uh, I handed my notice in. Um, so yeah, obviously the, the main worry for me um, at the time was was financing, as I guess it is for everybody you get told off certain people that you're going to have major issues. Another, another person will tell you that it's, that it's been no problem whatsoever. Um, and you just got to take the jump. I took the jump and nothing's changed lending wise. It's, it's, it's yeah. The, the whole process has been seamless for me. Yeah. Yeah. No, you do, you do, as you say, you do hear that. Um, I think some lenders just want to work with some people and you know, I think they pick and choose it at times it feels like, but um you know, I think a lot of people do worry off. You're not employed. You're not going to get mortgages. Um, what do you think? The why do you think you haven't experienced that? I think because I had a, a sizable portfolio when I when I became full time. Um, I think a lot of people um, maybe try and do it a little bit earlier uh, with with less property. I think they like to see you know if you've got 10, 10, between ten and twenty properties on your books, it shows you you're a vast experienced. Uh, landlord stroke investor, so I think that puts peace of mind in the in the lenders in the lenders' head. But yeah, I think people try and do it too early. Um, so yeah, I think the track record. I mean, you, you, your investment record is, is essentially your, your CV, isn't it? Um, and, and and yeah, they, they looked at what I was cash for and etc. And and, um, and and took confidence from that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So your main would you say your main strategy is BRR? Yeah, it certainly has been. It certainly has been. Um, I wanted to. To make every pound sweat, as they say. Um, so all of that equity I had in my in my initial cash purchases, plus everything I saved from my wages, I wanted to make every pound work for me. And and yeah, BRR was the only way to do that for me. Um, living in the northeast, it's BRR heaven. It's there's so many, uh, relatively speaking, so many deals about um, so much value to be had. 
And, and yeah, that's got me to where I am now. Um, I've started to dabble a little bit in SA um, and I, I enjoy that. So I'm probably going to increase my service accommodation units. I'd also like to, to pick up a couple of HMOs this year. Uh, sorry, next year. Um, but yeah, BRIs is something I'll, I'll never stop doing, to be honest. I will branch out into other things, but it's um, if, if the deals that be had that you can get most of your cash back out, then I think you'd be silly not to do it. Yeah. How are you finding it at the minute? I know we're finding it a bit tough to find the standard BMV deals and uh, what we like. I mean, I am seeing a lot more reduced properties email alerts um, and it's it's definitely, I think, going back in the right direction, but obviously the prices have been mental for a while and uh, I think my I know my pipeline is certainly not as busy as it normally is. I don't know, how are you finding it sort of post-COVID in this current time? Yes, same, same for me, Ryan. It's, it's absolutely mental uh, properties that I know I know for a fact that I should be paying 55 to 60k for. They're going for 75, 80k and they're on the market three days. Mm. Um, I'm not sure if it's just pent up demand from from the lockdown, etc. But um, I think there's a lot of that. There's a lot of lot of cash in the economy currently. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's mental, absolutely mental. I'm, I'm kind of just keeping my powder dry. Till the I've got a few going through the legals at the moment that I agree, agree free lockdown still haven't completed on. Yeah. Um, but apart from them, yeah, I'm just gonna. I'm obviously always looking for a deal, but I think I think early next year, quarter one of 2021 is is going to be real. It's going to be a real opportunity for, for some VRR deals. Yeah, yeah. I've uh, I had Theo on, who we'll come to in a second. Obviously, being I know you're in partnership with him on a few things, um, and he was saying the same. He thought early next year. I was probably hoping, probably more hopeful than anything. But I, I was hoping end of October, November this year, um, yeah. that it might start swinging in our favours. But it's it's frustrating having to sit on your hands and sort of. You know, when you we we were quite and quite quite a few every single month, and it was building quite nicely. We always had stuff to go at, and I think well, I completed on one last week, and that's pretty much it in terms of the BRR pipeline. So, you know, we we actually haven't got anything in there ready to go. Still doing viewings and still putting offers in, but as you say, just just getting nowhere with it. And so it's kind of the. Uh, do you pay a bit more and leave a bit more money in the deals and get them cash flowing quicker? Or do you just sit and wait it for a bit and let them come back down? It's that fine balance, isn't it? Cause you don't just want to have your money sat in your bank doing nothing for you. No, well, that's it. So you, you can, you can fall into the trap, which I know I have before of thinking that just, just because your portfolio is not growing, that you're not, that you're not progressing uh, with the, with your business. But there's so many other elements of your business you can improve um, apart from, apart from pure just numbers growth. Um, and I think it pays to to be patient. I know it's difficult. You become a bit of a a, a deal addict, don't you? You need you need the next hit. Um, if you haven't got anything going through the legals, it, you start uh, start nervous twitching. But um, but no, I think I think it, it certainly pays. Like I say, to be to, to be patient. Uh, the deals are going to come, and it, it's opportunity cost. If you if you, if you pay, do pay a little bit more now and use your use your money that you've got for deposits. When the when the real deals start uh, start coming, which which everyone's predicting early next year, you know if you use all your cash up, you're going to be kicking yourself. Yeah, um, you, you want to be you want to be ready and waiting uh, for for those bids. I mean, it's horrible to say that people are going to fall on uh, hard financial times, but that's just just the reality of it. Um, once the furlough scheme uh, ends, etc., um, I think you've got to be ready. Yeah, I think it's the way the world works, unfortunately. Um, but at the end of the day. You know, I think the the last property I just bought, I actually saw it in November last year. Uh, and when 
COVID happened, um, unfortunately she lost that company. But because I kept in touch uh, through the follow up process that we have, um, she you know flashed me a text straight away, like, almost just like SOS call. Please, can you just take this off my hands? So whilst we get a good deal out of it, you know, at the end of the day, we have also. I have, I do feel like I've helped her, you know, because I've, I've helped to solve a problem that she, she needed to get out of quite quickly. So, I mean, it took forever to go through legals because it's funny out of various listers just don't understand tank size flats. I don't no, know if you've come across I've, that, but it's I've, that myself, yeah. I've got a couple going through legals at the moment, tank size flats. And yeah, it's, I've actually spoken to, well, not just legals, your brokers uh, as, as well. They've, they've never heard of them, which I always guess they wouldn't be. They haven't been exposed to them, but but yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a very simple process for a Northeast-based uh, solicitor. It's just something they do every day, isn't it? Yeah. So anyway, that, that took forever. But I feel like, you know, we, we, I've solved a problem for her, you know, so it's not like we've, we've taken advantage. We've solved the problem. She sure reached out to me. She asked me if I'd buy a house off her, you know, and I think there is going to be that. And, um, you know, I think there's going to be plenty of that towards the end of the year, beginning of next year. Um, although at the minute you'd think that, Everyone inherited a million quid from somewhere, the way people are buying houses. Absolute mini boom, isn't it? I don't know what it's like throughout the rest of the country, but not, I think I've heard it's the same. But Yeah, no, I've got like obviously mentees up and down the country and, uh, you know, they're out sort of trying to execute the BRR strategy in, you know, various places down South Midlands, you know, Wales, and, and it's, a, it's all the same. You know, it's the same feedback time and time again. Some of them are booking viewings for like 48 hours ahead and they're not even getting the chance to go on the viewings because by the time you know, they're gone. So it's, um, yeah, it's, it's crazy. And I think it's something that no one ever expected, you know, following, um, the doom and the gloom that the journalists all portrayed throughout the whole of COVID. But, um, obviously time will tell and hopefully it won't be as bad as we all think. Um, but I think those that are cash ready are going to be in a very good position. As you say, you learned your lesson in 2008 by probably running away from it. Whereas, no, I think we're probably not going to be a million miles away from that and hopefully you can sweep up this time. Well, that's it. Yeah, that's the plan. I mean, um, yeah, just lack of education back in the back in the crest. In yeah. also, also, I wouldn't have had the capital at the time. Anyway, I was, only, I was very young um, with not a lot of work experience behind me. So, yeah, certainly better set up this time uh, should the opportunities come. Yeah. So what would be your best bit of advice for someone wanting to get started with BRR? I think um, something I've touched on throughout this throughout this conversation is, is education. Um, honestly, it just it's it's just it's the be all and end all at the end of the day. Um, I, I I made a lot of mistakes in the early days. You don't need to make those mistakes. If you just there's a lot of a lot of good information out there, podcasts, books, there's a lot of good a lot of good courses out there. You can do property courses, um, and and yeah, it'll save you save you fortunes, absolute fortunes. So yeah, I, before I even bought anything, I just read. And, and soak up as much information as I could from people who've done it and, and also from from, the, from books, podcasts, etc. Um, and again, before I'd made my first first purchase with hindsight, just build up your power team, find a, go out there and get recommendations for solicitors, for brokers, for tradesmen, get your ducks in a row. Um, I know it's a cliche, but it's honestly just so important. Again, you can save so much time and money by by um, not not just going for a trial and error Um outlook on, on on your power team as they call it and just be patient um the deals do come along i know once you've made that decision to buy a property it's pretty exciting uh, it's hard to get it's hard to think about anything else really but 
yeah, just be patient. Don't go out and buy the first thing. Just because something needs a refurb doesn't mean it's a good deal. Do do your due diligence. Uh, look at your. It's not difficult. Look at your uh, your past sold prices for the street, and uh, and do your homework. Yeah. Well, what's the um, what's the biggest mistake you've made so far? Um, biggest mistake I'd say I've been quite lucky to be honest um, relatively speaking compared to a lot of investors uh, but in the early days I suppose the, the main thing was just paying too much for properties um, was it the first couple I bought cash when I was living in Australia um, yeah I, I, I didn't get I think the first one was up for 90 I paid 88 uh, and the other one was up for 85 I think I paid 83 I just wanted to I just wanted to buy property I thought if you buy property it's just going to go up in price over the years so the earlier you buy it the better yeah, uh, looking back, knowing the agents as I do that, that I bought those properties off, I could have got another ten, fifteen percent off the, both of those purchase prices. Um, I bet you thought you had a good deal at the time, though. I did actually. Yeah, I did. Um, I mean, looking back, even if I was buying those houses now, that I'd still get them for cheaper than I paid for them. To be honest, um, I mean, they've cash flowed, flowed brilliantly over the years, so I've got no complaints. Yeah, purchase price wise, yeah, just 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 being too keen and. You become a motivated buyer, don't you? Um, mm. So yeah, um, just just lack of education was, was was the only reason for me doing that. Um, that's probably my that's probably my biggest uh, biggest mistake thus far. Yeah, yeah. I know you recently had a. Um, I want to touch base on this because I think at times people can get complacent as the portfolios are growing. But uh, you recently had a chip pan fire in one of your tenant properties, I believe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's something that's completely out of out of your control. But it is it is your worst nightmare. Had actually been. Um, at a property network uh, meeting up in Newcastle and uh, get, got a phone call off my property manager at the time to say, are you sitting down? So that's, that's never a good start to any conversation. So I just pulled in, pulled in the lay-by. I said, yeah, I'm sat down. What, what's going on? She said, there's been a fire um, at one of your houses. Um, and basically, yeah, electric fire, she, uh, electric hob, I should say. She'd left a chip pan. I didn't even know anyone used chip pans in 2019 as it was then. But uh, apparently they do. She'd, she'd uh, switch the electric hob off. But obviously they stay hot for quite a while. Gone to Tesco and come back and the house is in flames. So, yeah, that was that was horrible. Um, the main thing was nobody was hurt. That, that, that was the main thing, obviously. Yeah. If road, that was your first thought. So. But the whole ground floor of the of the house and the, and the stairways um, were burnt, burnt to a crisp. Um, yeah, that was a, a horrible, probably my... My biggest negative thus far, but uh, yeah, luckily I was. Uh, my insurance was bulletproof, and I use a loss assessor. Um, my advice to anyone in the same situation would be to to use an independent loss assessor. They'll they'll make sure that the your insurance company does and does everything it says it's going to, and that they'll make sure you get every penny and more um, that that you're owed. Um, that that would be my advice on that. Luckily, the the house is is back to to great condition now and and then, like you said nobody was hurt yeah did the tenants have, tenants have to check out did you have to rehouse them anyway yeah i had to rehouse them um luckily the property manager at the time had a, 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 a property on their books um obviously I, I had to suffer a loss of rent initially which i claimed back in the insurance but yeah that they moved straight across to another property within uh, that was that was in um, under her management right okay so, so it wasn't so bad it was really on the corner as well so it worked out quite well yeah okay it's uh, i think it's important you know as you said that make sure you've got the right insurances and um you know the right safety equipment and fire alarms tested you know i think which is easy to overlook at times especially when you're expanding quickly um you know it is yeah i mean if you've got 15 20 properties you know you do 
those things do pass you by, but it's they're, they're so so important. And um, I mean, I, I was I was up to speed with it all anyway, but that happening certainly uh, certainly um, highlighted just how important it is. Yeah, yeah. So you're coming back to obviously, um, you know, I had Theo on the show uh, the other night, and uh, you and Theo are working together on some project management sort of stuff. You've got a commercial unit which you're converting into flats at the minute. Um, how did that deal come about? Yeah, it's it's uh, it's been pretty exciting. Theo, uh, like you said, Theo, my business partner, um, was speaking to someone on a WhatsApp group, a property WhatsApp group, and um, happened to, to to see that he was a project manager by trade um, in engineering. Um, and, and obviously, I'm the project manager in construction. Um, so we, we came together and said, look, let's do this together. Anyway, Theo um, started putting the word about on WhatsApp and, and, and one of his groups, someone requested us to, to go in and, and, and price up to do a conversion of uh, offices to, to five apartments. And yeah, it's gone really well. It's gone superbly. Yeah. Um, it's amazing where you get business from these days, isn't it? Crazy. The old, the old, the old saying, tell everyone what you do. It's, it's never... There's never a truer saying, honestly. It's uh, Facebook, WhatsApp, wherever, wherever you're doing it. Just make sure everybody knows what you're doing. Um, so, yeah, it's gone really well. So well that the, that the same investors um, got a, uh, another development for us to do across the road. It's a nightclub, uh, an ex-nightclub that we're turning into apartments uh, and a commercial unit, uh, a shop as well. So that's great. Repeat business is, is, is always good. We're also, we've also taken on some, some, bigger, some big uh, student HMOs in Middlesbrough another investor another out of town investor so yeah the demand's there um the, the demand is certainly there it's 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 something we both enjoy doing it's it's what we do on a daily basis for ourselves it's nice to be able to do it for other people as well yeah yeah so what um what do you find the major difference are between just a standard single residential sort of brr project and say converting these five flats is there any major differences or is it just the same times five i guess the principles are the same but there's there's obviously a lot more planning involved uh, to make sure that your trades aren't clashing when you're doing a single that you know you, you know that your sparky can, can can get on with get on with his works without really interfering with anyone else same with the plumber etc but when there's um because you need a lot more numbers on on site a lot more tradesmen on site at the same time there's a lot more planning sequencing i guess um yeah that, that's the, that's the main thing i think the rest we've been lucky enough to to be able to use trades that we that we both know and trust um so that's been good um, but yet, yeah, um, I'd, I'd say from a planning and schedule point of view, that's that's been the main sort of uh, extra workload. Cool. What um, I want to touch base on your management or uh, estate agency, I should say. Um, you've recently set this up, um, which I am very interested in. Um, what was the what was the driving factor behind that? Yeah, I mean, as, as my portfolio grew. Um, I just just organically um, sort of had all my systems in place. I was using uh, property management software to run my own portfolio, um, and I was just the, the main driver between starting my own uh, lettings agency was was the, just the poor service I was getting from from the letting agents I'd, I'd used. Um, when you when you're calling letting agents to remind them that that your CP twelves are due, uh, you, you kind of take a take a seat and, and, and yeah. what am I doing here? What, what, am, I paying, what am I paying you for? Um, so yeah, it's um, with, with all the legislation changing from day to day and property, I just thought it was, it was the best move for me to, I'm a bit of a control freak anyway, but, um, but yeah, just, I just, I looked at it and thought I can, I can provide a better service than what these guys are doing. 
Um, what I find is most letting agents aren't investors themselves. Um, and they don't really understand the the ins and outs of it all and, and, and the, our, our main concerns as investors. Um, you know, getting the, making sure the house looks right for your valuations, just stuff like that, you know. So I'm, I'm a letting, we, we set up Orange Lettings Northeast uh, to provide a, a landlord-focused service. So we sat on the landlord side of the fence Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're providing a a, um, a grade A lettings and management service that people can tap into my systems, my tradesmen, um, and and my standards really. So it's, yeah. it, it's it's we started trading last October and it's absolutely flying. It's been it's been brilliant. Right. I think people appre- I think people appreciate that that I do I do go over and above uh, and, yeah. and, provide, and provide a service that I would want myself from my own portfolio. Yeah, and is there any scope to move into sales, or are you just going to focus on the letting? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, we, we've I've got staff now work, working for me, etc. So yeah, it's it's certainly something I, I fancy going into next year. I'd say probably would have got into it this year if it wasn't for COVID. Um, but yeah, next year I've got my eye on it. Things may change. I may delay it uh, slightly, but um, but no, yeah, I think middle of next year we'll we'll start looking at going into sales. There's so much opportunity out there. But as a letting agent and as an, as an estate agent, it's it's the it's the little tie-offs that you get. You know, as a letting agent, you, you're speaking to to landlords who are tired and want to get rid of the properties. Um, there's you know, you, as an investor um, doing sales and lettings, you you know, you get the constant funnel of of, of people coming through and opportunities coming through. Yeah, um, and if you provide a good service in, in in the in the lettings or in the sales, then uh, you're going to become the the go-to guy. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a good. Um, I, I do wonder whether you know most estate agents do set up as a sales funnel for their their own deals yeah, as such. Sure, yeah. sure, a lot of them do. I'm sure a lot of them do, and you can't really blame them, to be honest. Yeah, no. Well, it makes sense, doesn't it? So, all right. Final question, then I'm going to let you ask me a few questions. Um, where do you want to grow your business to in the next twelve months? Next twelve months, so I've got a, a, um, a cash flow target that, that I want to hit. It's it's actually an eighteen month target, but if I can hit it, in the, I've got in the back of my mind. Um, I want to hit it in twelve months. Um, that'll be BRR again, as I touched on. Probably two or three uh, service accommodation units around Newcastle, just because the demand in Gateshead and Newcastle is is so. It's, uh, it's such a vibrant city that it's it's. Uh, I think service accommodation is is a no brainer there. Um, and yeah, just 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 keep going as I am. To be honest. Um, in, in invest, investment wise, um, pr- project management wise, looking to take on another three or four projects in the next twelve months, and, and management and lettings just continue with the growth that we're experiencing at the moment, but without sacrificing the service. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty focused and and um, just yeah, continue as I am in on all, all th- on all three outlooks really. Just keep building. Sounds good. Good plan of attack. Exactly. Happy days. All right, fire away. Hit me with your questions. So, obviously, I've touched on service accommodation uh, throughout this conversation. I was just wondering what your obviously I'm quite new to it. And I'm sure a lot of other people will be interested. What What are your main concerns and and, and main stresses from a management point of view of service accommodation? Um, I I mean, I said in terms of what what's happened through COVID or well, especially through COVID, but even even before that, what what are the main what are the main things you've learned, main mistakes you've made? Um, I think you've got to accept that, and, and I have this battle all the time with kind of the, the, the guest handlers and the operational staff who get a bit upset when a bad review comes in. I think you can, 
do the absolute utmost for guests and you're still going to get a few that it's not good enough for. And I think you've just got to kind of accept that that's part and part of the game. I um, work a lot on 80-20 rule, you know, Pareto law. I think 80% of your guests are going to be well-behaved. They'll respect your properties, respect your rules. And 20% of guests are going to um, not. They're probably going to try and um, throw parties in your places, cause damages. And, you know, there might even be the 20% that even if you've done everything right, they're going to complain. So you've got to be careful not to take that to heart. And uh, even, you know, just before we jumped on this call, I've seen a, uh, apparently we've got a guest who's um, still asleep and refusing to leave in one of our places and they've had a party in there. So, um, you know, there's, there's cost involved to get them out, but we've got good processes in place to recoup that money. Um, You know, so we just call the security firm, security firm will go down there, they'll remove the guest and we send them a bill. Yeah. You know, so have you found, it, have you found the SA side of things more manageable that the bigger you've got, then obviously you've taken on your own, your own staff. Yeah. So I think, um, I started obviously myself doing it and then, um, you get bigger and bigger and, uh, and, and you realize you can't do it. Or, or what happened with me is I got so sucked into the operations that I stopped acquiring property and that wasn't the point of the business. So I then, you know, out, outsourced the help initially. So I had staff kind of all over the place, uh, I even went to the Philippines and tried that. But I just felt nothing, I just felt it needed to be put into an office environment and run like a proper business. Because at the end of the day, I do feel service accommodation is a proper business. So, you know, you've got to market it, you've got to, you know, do follow-up calls, you've got to do sales calls, you know, everything in between to, to really make it work. It's not just a case of, posting a picture on Airbnb and thinking that you've made it, you know? So there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes. So I, uh, I pulled it all in the office and that, that for me, just gave me the ability to really hammer home the systems I wanted, the processes I wanted and the accountability that I wanted from all the staff. And by doing that, um, yes, the costs might be slightly more, but the efficiencies in the way that the uh, portfolios ran now is um is superb um all my staff are absolutely fantastic from the cleaners all the way through to you know the 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 senior operational staff and uh you know i couldn't do it without them but it's also given us the confidence to expand nationally so we uh have a block down in london that we manage from newcastle and at first when i first got into it i would think well how on earth can you do that but you know, it's it's the same system, same processes, same methods. And we just have different staff down there doing it that we do up here. But we run all the guest handling side from from our office in Newcastle. Superb. So again, so it's like like me with my lettings. Um, it, it's a, it's a control thing. You can tighten up your standards, can't you? Uh, if the more areas of your business that you're in control of. Yeah, 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 hundred percent. So it's been a great move for us. That to be fair. Superb. So what's what's your what's your interest in the next twelve months? Then we we touched on mine, but what? Obviously, you're heavily at the service accommodation. Have you looked at, do you have an interest in development or, or, or new builds? Um, yeah, I, I, um, what I'm finding with service accommodation, I mean, we've, we've taken on quite a lot of HMOs in the last six months. Uh, you know, I just, I'm glad I did. Um, we had some before that, but really sort of pushed that hard and, um, you know, add that diversification in the portfolio. I like, yeah. I like to be diverse. I'm glad I was, obviously, through COVID. I'd hate to think I was just serviced accommodation. Uh, single lets are always just bubbling away, you know, picking up little 50, 60 grand sort of properties around Newcastle, Gateshead, Durham, Sunderland, and yeah. just, you know, getting them tenanted. Um, but 
I find with, with the service accommodation, we've got a few operations on the go now where we've got blocks of stuff. So, you know, five flats, 10 flats. Um, we've got one on the go in Durham, which will be 17 in total by the time we're finished. Um, so they work really well for just the economies of scale and everything that you get with the, the uh, contractors that we like to attract. Obviously, they can all stay in one place. They can all park outside one place, but they've got their separate units. So they just work really, really well for us. And um, so I am on the hunt, if I can, you know, your, your commercial uh, thing you're doing now into five units. That just sounds like a dream for me into, into service accommodation. And so I am on the hunt for things like that where I can maybe get, you know, anywhere from three to, to six flats out of something. And uh, hopefully I can pick, uh, pick that up and have that done within the next 12 months and then, you know, put that into a service accommodation operation. I've got a sniff of something down the coast, which is exactly that. And so I'm kind of working on, on sort of the, the financial side of that at the minute, see if we can get that over the line. Um, so, yeah, so that's, that's something I would like to get into over the next 12 months. Great. Well, Mike, so far, um, everything I've done has been has been self funded. Um, I'm just starting now to work with to work with investor finance uh, through through a couple of family connections. What about yourself? Are you, are you using investor finance, or is, or is that in sort of? Yeah, no. I um, initially I didn't, um, and then I use bridging loans a lot. So yeah. I, I did use bridging loans a lot, and still do. And it wasn't really until the last sort of six or seven months where I kind of used investor finance. I was almost stupidly like too proud to use other people's money. It was like a mindset thing for me. I was just thought I don't want to use someone else's money. I want it to be all through me. But then I kind of something switched in my head and thought, well, it's no different to using bridging finance. You know, you're going to pay them a return on the money. You're going to borrow for a short period of time and you're going to pay them back. So and once that switch flipped in my head, you know, as you do, you just network, you speak, you tell people about what you're doing. And lo and behold, people are, oh, well, I've got some money in a bank or, you know, I've, you know, and I need a return on this money. So um, started doing uh, quite a bit of that as well. And now I just run in all three avenues. So I've got cash that I, I use myself. I've got bridging funding and then investor funding. And it just, by using all three at the same time, obviously you can grow a lot quicker as well. So, um, but it works well. It's a lot cheaper and it's a lot quicker to use investor yeah. investor money um you just want to make sure you've got everything i you know just everything down on paper you know even to the point where if one person dies what happens not nice to talk about but those type of things need to be put in agreements like that because you don't want any complications should the worst happen yeah um, you know so it's uh, but yeah no so far so good with that and what i am finding is those investors they want to roll on what we're buying next, what we're buying next, you know, because obviously you're just paying them a nice return each month. So, and if they've got nothing to use that money for, then they just want to keep that return coming. So I had that conversation the other day. They were like, you know, what are we going on to next? And um, I had to tell them the pipeline was a bit dry, but we'll, we'll obviously try and um, get it, get the money spent. So, but yeah, no, it's a good position to be in. Yeah, for sure. I think you should diversify your portfolio, but uh, like you've just touched on there, diversify your your, your sources of uh, of capital as well. Yeah, you got you've got your own cash, your refinancing, your your, your investor finance, your bridging loans, etc. So yeah, the more the merrier. 
Happy days. All right, well, Dave, absolutely awesome to have you on board. I'm sure we'll catch up for our regular Starbucks coffee in Jasmine very soon and talk property as we do. Most people will probably think we're boring if they listen to us, but, uh, but we love it. Um, so, but no, absolute pleasure to have you on. Thank you very much. I'm sure the um, I'm sure the audience have felt the same. If anyone, you know, I am all about connecting people, and I think the more of us that can get together, the better. You never know what comes of it. How can people find you? How can they connect with you? Yeah, I'm on uh, Facebook, uh, David Lamb, obviously, um, Instagram, underscore David, underscore Lamb. And, um, yeah, my letting agency is Orange Lettings Northeast. If anyone wants to get in touch, um, yeah, more than happy to, to chat properly with anyone. Perfect. All right, Dave, thanks very much for your time, and uh, we'll see you all next week for next week's show. Cheers, Ryan.